So today was not actually supposed to be me. This was supposed to be Albert up here, um, Pastor Albert, but he had an, a kind of an urgent matter up north with one of the churches that he's taking care of. For those of you that are new, my name is Christine. I'm one of the pastors here at Trinity Church. And my husband, uh, Pastor Albert, he was called away up north to deal with a church that is in crisis. And so he asked me to take over. And it's kind of reminding me of those days uh, where I had to teach somebody else's lesson as a substitute teacher, because this is Albert's sermon. And I have never done that. I've never preached Albert's words before. And so I'm wondering if you're going to be able to tell the difference of my style and Albert's style. But with that, let us start. So we are starting a new sermon series today. It's called, Today is the Day, Living in the Perfect Will of God. Today is the day. It's the three-part uh, three sermon series. Uh, later on next week, I don't know if Aaron is here, is he? But Aaron will be preaching next week, and that's really exciting, because this will be the first time you'll be hearing from, from Aaron. So look forward to that. So today is the day, our new series. So we spend a lot of time waiting, don't we? Waiting in lines, waiting for customer service, waiting for a meeting to start, waiting for someone to respond to a text, or waiting for the food to arrive, or waiting for the Dodgers to win the World Series. <laughs> So a lot of the things that we wait for are small things. Small things, but some are big things and important things and life-changing things, right? We, we wait for the baby to come, right, Janelle? Seems to take forever, right? We wait to get lab results back to see if the cancer is really gone. We wait for the storms of life to stop and for things to get back to normal. So what are you waiting for? Is there something you are longing to begin, or longing to be over, or longing to get better? Maybe you are longing for a new career to start, or maybe you are longing to be understood, or maybe you are longing to find the one. Maybe you long to be healed from some prolonged sickness or some uh, healing from some past trauma. Maybe you long for a relationship to be healed, you know, a marriage or a relationship with your mother or your son or daughter. You know, we often talk about waiting on God as Christians, don't we? We say, uh, his timing is not necessarily our timing. And God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So a good Christian prays and waits. And if nothing happens right away, we say, well, you know, I guess it just wasn't God's will. Or, or we say, perhaps it's not in God's timing, so I'll just wait and wait and wait. But what if God doesn't want 
us to wait? What if God is actually waiting on us? What if God is waiting for us to learn something or do something or hear or see something? And if we would only respond to his voice, that he would answer our prayers right then and there. In other words, what if we are waiting on God unnecessarily? What if God wants to do something in our lives today and the only thing that is holding us back is ourselves? What if there is something about the way we understand God or the gospel that prevents us from receiving his promises and blessings or becoming who God wants us to become today? So before Jesus came, the people of God, they went through a long period, long time of waiting, hundreds of years waiting And the prophet Isaiah wrote about the coming Messiah more than 700 years before Christ was born. That is 35 generations waiting, who were born, who lived, and died in that time. I think that's a lot of waiting. But then Jesus comes on the scene, and after he's baptized by his cousin John, in the Jordan River, and and he spends 40 days in the wilderness fasting and praying and being tempted by the devil, he returns to begin his ministry. So let's read from Luke 4, 14 to 21. If you have your Bibles, Luke 4, 14 to 21. Verse 14, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And then he stood up and read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And enrolling it, he found the place where it was written. Jesus read, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's the word of God. So Jesus is reading from Isaiah 61. This is what we call a messianic passage because it it speaks of the coming Messiah. And that was nothing out of the ordinary, but it is what Jesus said afterwards that was so shocking. 
It all boils down to one single word, today. Jesus says to the people that today the scripture is being fulfilled in their hearing. Today, the Messiah, the anointed one on whom the spirit of the Lord rests, has come to proclaim good news to the poor. And today, Jesus has come to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Today, Jesus has come to give sight to the blind. Today, Jesus has come to set the oppressed free. Today, Jesus has come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Today is the day. No more waiting. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in our hearing. So what if we are waiting on God unnecessarily? What if we have romanticized the idea of waiting on God? As if those who wait more have uh, more faith than those who don't. And what if some who live in a perpetual state of waiting are in fact the ones who lack faith? Is it possible that we've become so used to waiting that we can no longer sense when our waiting is over and what we desire is already within our grasp? What if God has already answered our prayers and already provided for us, already given us everything we need for a life of godliness and victory? So how do you think of your relationship with, with God? And I thought this was a profound question when I was going through it myself. Your relationship with God, is it primarily about waiting for someone or something we hope God might do tomorrow? Or is it about receiving and celebrating and enjoying God's presence and power today? Are we waiting constantly for what he's going to do tomorrow? Or are we receiving the promise of his blessings today? So this series is a challenge to live in presence of power of God right now. Now is the day of salvation. Christ has come. His kingdom is near. So the Apostle Paul, he continually urges their early church to live in the manner worthy of the gospel. What does this mean? In other words, to live as if Jesus had really died on the cross for their sins. To live as if Jesus really had risen from the grave and put his Holy Spirit in every heart of every believer. And in, a second, in the second epistle to the, to the Corinthians, this is what he wrote. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So is it possible for a person to receive God's grace in vain? And what does that even mean? It means that we've received God's grace for nothing. We've received no benefit of God's grace, of the cross, of the resurrection. We've received none of those blessings. It's just gone in one ear and out the other, and we've completely missed the point. And, and I think 
the, the clue to that, whether or not this is us, we have not undergone any transformation at all. It means leaving the gifts and blessings God has promised to us unopened. It means staying exactly the same year after year. It means never participating in the Great Commission to make, all, to make disciples of all nations. It means accepting Christ in your mind but not in your heart to live for all intents and purposes like a non-believer. Recently, Jenna had a project, a little diorama um, about the Pomo Indians. And so um, we, we set the little setting and put a teepee there and um, put some pictures of Indians doing what they do, uh, collecting berries and whatnot. And she wanted the finishing touch, plastic animals, right? Plastic animals that, um, that, that were from that location. And so what did I do? I ordered some online off of Amazon. And so we ordered it plenty of time. It'll come, no problem, way before the, the due date. And it didn't come. And it didn't come. And the next day it didn't come. And it's like the night before it's due. And Jenna's like, what are we going to do, Mama? We don't have the plastic animals. And I said, Albert, I don't, I'm just going to go to the store. I'm just going to buy some plastic animals. He's like, their package came in like a week ago. It's been sitting in the, you know, in, in the back of the office. Like I picked it up from the steps. So the whole time it was there. And so what did I do like a good mommy? I let her go to sleep and I glued the little animals on their little diorama. Paul reminds us that now is the day of salvation. Christ has come. Salvation in the original Greek is soteria, which means salvation, welfare, prosperity, deliverance, preservation, and safety. And it comes from the root word sozo, meaning uh, I save or heal, or preserve, rescue. You know, to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, or to save a suffering one from perishing, one suffering for, from disease, for example, to make well, heal, and restore to health. Because Jesus has come, we have been delivered from the penalty and the power of sin, we can be restored in mind, body, and soul. We can be restored emotionally, physically, mentally, spiritually, and we can overcome temptation. We can be free from the fear of death and the fear of man. No more worry or shame or guilt. We can be whole. Now is the day of salvation. Today is the day of our healing. Today is the day we can be set free. Not next week, not next month, not next year, but tomorrow. So how do we get there? How do we move from waiting to receiving? How do we make sure that, that uh, we have not received God's grace 
in vain, but that we are enjoying all the benefits that God has for his people. How do we make sure of this? That we are receiving all the blessings as his beloved children, as his chosen servants today. In Matthew 9, we have a story. If you want to turn to Matthew 9, verse 27 to 30. Matthew 9, verse 27 to 30. So a little bit of background here. Jesus has just come from the home of one of the leaders of a synagogue where he has literally raised to life the leader's daughter from death. Right? Raised her from life, uh, from death, sorry. And news about this miracle had spread throughout the region. So 9, verse 27. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him, and he asked them, Do you believe I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, Faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. According to your faith, let it be done to you. So here's what we need to understand and another profound thought, I, I, I was as I was reading this, you know, God, He does not respond to our need, but to our faith. It is not until we exercise faith that we can see God move. That is what moves us from waiting to receiving over and over and over. Jesus tells us that it is faith that is the catalyst for God's power to be released into the world. Some examples, when um, Jesus was uh, preaching in a home and, and some men, these four men, come and, and bring a paralyzed man on a stretcher. But the crowds are so thick they can't get through the doors, so what they do is they cut a hole in the roof and they lower this man into the house where Jesus is teaching. And the Bible records that when Jesus saw their faith. He forgives the man's sins and heals him. Another time, another example, Jesus is walking through a, a, a crowd, and you know, people are pressing on each side, and in the midst there is a woman, a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years. No sign of healing or restoration. And so she, she tries to push her, her way through in, into the crowd. And, and what so she does is she, she pulls her hand in and she just touches Jesus' cloak. Instantly she is healed. And Jesus, he feels the power leave his, uh, the sense of a power leaving his body. And he says, who touched me? And she falls trembling at his feet and tells him the truth. It was me. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. One more. 
Jesus is traveling to Jerusalem and passes a group of 10 men with leprosy. And they're crying out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And Jesus tells them to go show themselves to the priests. And as they go, they are cleansed. And, and one of them, he sees that he is healed, and he comes back to Jesus, and he's praising God in a loud voice, and he throws himself at the feet of Jesus' feet and thanks him. And Jesus says, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? For the man was a Samaritan. And then Jesus says, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. When Jesus saw their faith, they were healed. According to your faith, let it be done to you. Faith is what moves us from waiting to receiving. So could it be that we find ourselves waiting on God when it is, in fact, that it is God who is waiting on us because we have not exercised that faith? Is it possible that we are waiting unnecessarily? Could it, that, could it be that all we need to do is have a little faith? So there are some things that we need to know about faith. First of all, faith is the instrument. It is not the power itself. It is the power of Christ that heals and saves us. It is not the power of faith. You know, a lot of people claim to have faith. We, we hear from, from people all the time. They say, you just got to have faith. But faith in what? Faith in whom? Jesus is Lord, and he is the image of the invisible God. And all things were created uh, by him and for him, and in him all things are held together. So he, he rose from the grave and, and will come again to usher in the kingdom of God in all of its glory. Therefore, we put our faith in him. So what kind of faith do you have? Do you have faith in yourself? Do you have faith in your abilities? Do you have faith in humanity? Do you have faith in the cosmic powers? Do you have a generic faith that, in, that there is some kind of higher being or higher force out there? Or do we have a very specific and exclusive faith in Jesus Christ? So faith is merely the instrument. It is not the power itself. All power rests in the person and work of Jesus the Christ. Secondly, faith often requires that we trust God over our own senses. Some people, some of us, we think that faith is the, uh, is, is the opposite of doubt. right? We think faith is on one side, doubt is on the other. But actually, the, the opposite of faith is sight, right? Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, for we live by faith, not by sight, right? And in Hebrews 11, 1, it says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So when we live by sight, our reality is the things that we see right in front of us. 
And faith tells us there is another way of seeing, there's another reality, one that is grounded in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ who makes all things new. And because Jesus is Lord, like we really need to think of what does that even mean that Jesus is Lord? Because he is Lord, we can have more trust in his promises than in our five senses. So to live by faith is to trust in God more than what I see or smell or hear or taste or touch. It is to believe that what seems impossible to me is more than possible for God. So faith says that God will make a way when there is no way. So the opposite of faith is not doubt. It is sight. Third, faith is not proven by what we say or believe. Faith is proven by what we do. So faith is not a matter of creeds. It's a matter of deeds. So the four men, they cut a hole in the roof and lowered the paralyzed man. Right? Jesus saw their faith. A woman pushes through the crowds just to touch him. And Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. And a leper cries out to Jesus and says, master, heal me. And he later comes back to praise God and throw himself at the feet of Jesus in thanksgiving. And Jesus says, your faith has made you well. So Jesus saw their faith. They didn't organize their beliefs into beautifully worded statements of faith. Their faith wasn't intellectual or emotional. It was physical. It was tangible. It was demonstrable. You know, their faith caused them to do something, cut a hole, reach through a crowd, push, shout out to Jesus, kneel at his feet. So faith is physical. It is not proven by what we say or just believe, it is what we do. So for God to respond to our faith, he must see it. So God, can God see your faith? So what actions are you taking that demonstrate that you really do believe that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he is alive, and that he can make a way when there is no way? If I have faith that God can heal my marriage, then will I do something, a visible demonstration of that faith? Maybe go talk to your pastor, or go for counseling, or attend a seminar, or read a book. I will believe that even though everything I'm seeing says, there's no hope, yet I will live by faith in the power of Christ. And I will live and act as if God is going to do the impossible. If I have faith that God can break chains of my addictions, then I will do something that is visible in order to demonstrate that faith. I'll, I'll attend a 12-step program or, or check into rehab or be transparent and vulnerable with someone. I'm not just going to wait on God. I will live by faith in physical and tangible ways. So I, as I live by faith, I move from waiting to receiving, and I encounter God in the present. 
I enjoy his salvation and promises and blessings today. So every day we make hundreds and hundreds of choices. You know, sometimes there are little choices, big choices. Some are relatively insignificant. Some have lasting impact on our lives. And every day we are presented with choices that, that really actually matter, that have a huge bearing on our health and our happiness and holiness. And the one thing that is in your control is your decisions because you have free will. So we can choose to humble ourselves. We can choose that today we will serve the Most High King. You, you have to be determined in your mind whether to live a, faith, uh, live a life of faith or of sight. You have to choose. So in Joshua 24.15, it says this, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So it is a choice. You choose for yourselves. No one can do it for you. That is God's gift to humanity, the ability to choose. In Psalm 118, 24, it says, This is the day that the Lord has made, and I will rejoice in it. Another choice. I choose to rejoice in it, no matter what the circumstances. The gospel itself is presented to us as a choice, a choice to make. In Mark 1.15, it says, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So repent and believe. It is a choice. Choose this day to turn back to God and through Christ the King. It is a choice. So what if we are not waiting on God? What if God is waiting on us? What if we are waiting unnecessarily? Has God been speaking to you, but you've been ignoring his voice? Is, God, is there something God is calling you to do that you keep putting off until tomorrow? Is there something that you've longed for, something that you've prayed for, but haven't actually done anything to move towards making it a reality? Is it possible that you haven't actually exercised any faith in any physical or tangible way? So this series that we're on right now, it is a challenge to all of us to respond to God's leading without delay. So God's continual call is to responding is to responding in the present. Your future is not determined by what you do tomorrow, but by what you do today. So I'm going to go off script now. That was all Albert. <laughs> Pretty <laughs> profound. <laughs> that was all Albert. Um, if you uh, didn't like it, talk to him about it. <laughs> But something that I do want to add, um, and I, I've mentioned this at the panel before, like a couple of weeks ago, and I've, I, I, this is a part of my life that I share all the time. 
Um, and, I, and I believe there's a quarter of us here that have experienced the same thing, and it's just having a past of uh, sexual victimization. I don't know if you are on Facebook, but uh, there's this post, this hashtag Me Too. Have you heard of that? So it's hashtag Me Too. It's all the people, men or women, that have experienced sexual abuse to just write a little post on Facebook and say hashtag Me Too, just to show just how far-reaching uh, and the impact has been for so many people that have experienced this. Um, so I've, I've shared at the pulpit many times about my past and, and how God has moved me so powerfully through healing of the things of my past. I've shared this, but there is always some lingering. I, won't, I shouldn't have said always. There is some lingering after effects from that. Right? And I shared to you uh, in, on the panel a couple of weeks ago that I said to um, Albert, you know what, I no longer want this to be something that controls or defines me. I refuse to let it define me or my relationship with Albert. You know, because there were some times where I, I respond out of unhealth. And this has been what? Oh my gosh, I'm like 40, what am I now? 40, I think I'm 44. Am I 44, Cindy? Okay, yeah, I'm 44. You know, I am now 44, right? How many years have I let this just take a hold of certain parts of my life? You know, and, and just saying, okay, you know what? God will excuse that because this is my past. God will excuse it and to make excuses for myself in this area of my life. But God is not that God. He is a God of transformation. He wants to transform you and make you whole. You know, and there is a process. You know, this whole series is called Today is the Day. And I don't want to add that pressure. I was talking to someone yesterday. I don't know if I have the liberty to share. I'm sorry if I don't. You can talk to me afterwards about it. I'm not going to name names, but somebody's going through just a, a, a troubling time in their life. And... Um, and, and she says the shame actually makes it more unbearable. You know, the shame of going through this. You know, and I understand that. I really do. I understand how that shame just takes a hold of you. But this is not the life that the Lord wants for you. He wants transformation. And it is a process. Sometimes it is a process. It is not today. But saying that, there are decisions that we can make today to help in that process. Today, like there is, there is something you can do today. Whether it's to talk to someone, whether it's to say yes to going out for coffee and sharing, or whether it's to open up the yellow pages, I don't know if we have that anymore, Yelp, right, or Google, and say, look up for counseling, right? <laughs> Whether it is to finally go to that person that you've been fighting with for the past 20 years and say, I am sorry. You know, there is something that you can do today. And I feel like as I'm sharing this, most of you, maybe not all of you, but most of you, are you already thinking of something? You are thinking of an incident, an event that completely disrupted your life as the life that God wanted for you. But one thing about salvation, that disrupts your life too. 
It disturbs your life because you no longer are walking in that direction that you are. Salvation saves you and changes you and transforms you. So you are not the same day to day, year to year, right? It's transforming. The grace of God is transforming. And if you do not see that transformation in your life, this is not a condemnation. This is an encouragement. Then that means you are not fully believing something of who Jesus is, of who you are in the eyes of Jesus. And his heart's desire is not to point a finger at you and say, what's wrong with you, follower of Jesus? Aren't you not? His way is come and believe. Come and believe and receive all the blessings and promises I have for you today. So as the worship team comes up, I want you to think about that thing, whatever it is, the relationship or the illness or maybe some uh, insecurity in yourself or maybe it's depression or an addiction. You know, you know that there is that something that's keeping you from living this out today. I want you to think about that. And we're going to turn into a time of prayer. And I want you to think about what the cross really did. When Jesus died on that cross, when he was risen from the dead, when he put his spirit in you, what does that mean? That means freedom from all those things. So let's just pray in silence for a while. Just pray in silence that uh, the Lord would stir your heart to, to think about these things and take that thing and just bring it to the cross. Just bring it to the Lord.